reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to Matthew 1. And we've been going through the sermon series, The Difference That Jesus Makes. Last week we heard Pastor Bill he spoke to us about the joy that Jesus brought to the world and how we can live with joy that transcends all understanding. How many of you remember the first time you went on an airplane? I remember the first time I was on an airplane. It wasn't that long ago. It was 2018. Along with my parents, we had drove down to Mexico to return my cousin's van, which he couldn't import into Canada. So dropping the van off in Mexico, I had no other option but to get back home but on an airplane. I still remember when the pilot declared his credentials to all the passengers that day on that flight from El Paso. I had faith that this man knew what he was doing and had gone through all the necessary training to do his job and to bring us safely to Detroit. Not just that, but also that the flight attendants who gave instructions of what to do in case of emergency and where all the amenities were on the plane. You faithfully placed your bag in the overhead compartment knowing exactly where your luggage was because it was directly above your seat. Then after taking your seat, you buckled, in, you buckled yourself in safely and securely and the plane begins to taxi away and down the runway it pulls away from the terminal. That's when you hear the voice come over the speaker system. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. I am your pilot, Captain John Smith. I've been flying the skies for 22 years and this is my co-pilot, Dave, who's been flying with me for the past 12 years. Thank you for choosing to fly with us today. We'll see you when we land. What made you stay in your seat? Was it the fact that the door was locked and you couldn't get out? Wasn't it that you trusted the pilots who stated their credentials and experiences that you knew that you could put your faith and trust completely in them to get you where you were going? We as humans will always place our faith in something or someone we can trust that has experience and a good reputation. But what about when something does, isn't going right? Where is your faith when you hit, are hit with bad news? When the deadline is looming and the decision needs to be made, what are you trusting or putting your faith in to make it through? You place your faith in that bench that you sat down in this morning. The question this morning is, is, is if Jesus is the one that makes the difference, is he the one that your faith is in or who or what are you putting your faith in today? Let's read Matthew 1 and we'll start in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being, made, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all of the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as we open your word today to hear from you, Lord. We pray that you will open our hearts and open our minds to receive what you have for us to hear. And, and we thank you for this time of year where you bring us together to remember the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. And his death brought us hope, it brought us peace, it brings us faith, it brings us love, Lord. And we just pray that you would embark on us today and just fill us with your spirit, Lord. And we just pray this in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Just a little background on Joseph, because there's very little mention or known of him in the scripture, but it's very important what is known. There's two other mentions of him in the Bible outside of Luke and here in Matthew. But this doesn't mean that he didn't play a role in the life of Jesus or God's love story with mankind. Joseph was born a Jew, a descendant from the tribe of Judah and from the lineage of King David and King Solomon. This wasn't by chance or happenstance, but rather a chosen work of God to fulfill the prophecy that God had given back to the people in Genesis and from the prophet Isaiah, that the coming Messiah would be born in the house of Judah and be an heir to the throne of King David. This is where we pick up the story in the life of Joseph here in Matthew, and we learn about the faith that Jesus brings is a faith in the waiting to make the right decision. Verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. A Jewish, a Jewish betrothal or engagement was, a, it was as binding as a modern-day marriage. They were legally recognized as a husband and wife, although physical union had not yet taken place. This was a period of generally 12 months when the man and woman were committed and confirmed to be married to each other. It was a period of growing faith for each other as they were set apart for each other, but they were not yet confirmed until the marriage celebration or feast, which came at the end of those 12 months, which this feast would then last another seven days. To know you're going to spend the rest of your life with this person, but have to wait a year until you can celebrate it, and having to wait yet another week after that must have been excruciating and exhausting, and like it couldn't come soon enough. It required a lot of faith and self-control. It's a time of sanctification. Sanctification is a process of being made holy or set apart by faith, working through love. And we can see how Joseph was faithfully waiting for the day to be with his bride. Joseph knew that faithfully waiting would require him to take action and pursue this pure and set-apart relationship that was called for by God. But he was now faced with a problem that no one, man or woman, ever wants to experience. Joseph had kept himself pure and righteous in his relationship with Mary. He loved Mary, and there was no one else for him, and his heart belonged to her. She had all his attention and affection, but somehow his beloved Mary had become pregnant. This would crush any man to hear that his wife had become pregnant by someone else. 
What was he to do now? Was God testing his faithfulness? He had been faithfully waiting for his bride and had a decision to make. In verse 19, we read, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew calls Joseph a just man. To be a just man means to be a man who is upright. To be an upright man means to be a man who is good, who has a good and respectable reputation. It means to be a man who has good morals and a good character. It means to be a man who lives right, talks right, thinks right, and acts right. To be an upright man means to be a man who has integrity, someone who is tr truthful and honest. To be an upright man means to help those who are less fortunate, to help those who are in need. It means to be a man who is determined to live right for God and to live right by others. Psalm 37, 37 says, Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for a man of peace. Proverbs 14.2 says, Whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him. Joseph was a just man because he was a man who feared God, who had a good and respectable reputation, who was determined to live right for God and to do right by his fellow man. If you want to be a just man, you have to be a man who fears God, a man who will be determined to live for God and to do right by his fellow man. But to be an upright man does not mean that you'll be perfect. Ecclesiastes 2 verse 20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Proverbs 24 16 says, For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Joseph knew all this, and he knew the law that God had given to the people because of their hard hearts, especially when it came to divorce. He respected and loved Mary. We see that here and how he was unwilling to put her to shame and resolve to divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to make a rash decision, but faithfully take it to the Lord. How many of us have a family dog that is our pet, that's our, that we've known since we were a child? There's a story told by Archibald Rutledge, who wrote that one day he met a man whose dog had been killed in a forest fire. Heartbroken, the man explained to Rutledge how it had happened. Because he worked outdoors, he often took his dog with him. That morning, he left the animal in a clearing and gave him a command to stay and watch his lunch while he waited, went into the forest. His faithful friend understood, for that's exactly what he did and had been trained to do. But then a fire started in the woods, and soon the blaze spread to the spot where the dog had been left. But he didn't move. He stayed right where he was, in perfect obedience to his master's word. With tearful eyes, the dog's owner said, I've always had to be careful what I told him to do because I knew he would do it. So we are left with a question that I'm sure you are asking by now. If Joseph was this just man and faithfully made the right godly decisions, how did he do it? He trusted in God and asked him for wisdom and discernment. Proverbs 3.5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Often when we are faced with a decision, we try to rely on what we know to make the best possible choice. And while an educated decision is certainly a good idea, especially if it's a major one, as Christians we realize that we, we can't know everything, 
But as it says in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. We also need to realize that God calls faithful believers to counsel each other. Proverbs 11:14 tells us where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. How often do we people get stuck listening for that still, small voice of the Spirit when they seek guidance in a situation? We must remember that God doesn't just speak directly to us. Often he speaks to us through other believers. Talk about your decisions with people you trust, faithful leaders and experts. When you're open and faithful to the Spirit, you never know how it will arrive. Then turn to the scripture and pray about everything. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guide your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of our most obvious failures is only turning to God when it's a major thing, when there's no other hope. God cares about all things happening to you and wants to guide you in all decisions so you can faithfully make the right decision. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may complete may be complete, equipped for every good work. God is the answer. He's the only one we can, fa- we can faithfully trust in all of life's decisions, but we can't just sit back and expect that it'll happen on its own. We must act in faith because faith produces obedience. Seek the counsel of God through prayer and his word. God has sent his Holy Spirit to be our comforter and our guide, the one to be our witness, to be a witness with our spirit. Joseph was willing to wait for God in this decision. He was going to make the right decision according to what God would lead him to, and then he would obey it. This isn't blind faith. Jesus brings a faith to make godly decisions, but this faith also is one that requires obedience. Let's go back to Matthew 1 and verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. That's our second point, that the faith that Jesus brings is a faith that requires obedience. Joseph wasn't forgotten by God. He was acting in faith according to the law that God, to the law of God and being a just man. Joseph was ready to divorce Mary and faithfully move forward, but God had other plans for Joseph and would show him his faithfulness and the plan he had for this child. He had flipped Joseph's life upside down. The angel of the Lord told him to not only stay with his wife, but also revealed this plan to him. He could now believe and trust what Mary had told him and what the angel had told him and what the angel had told Mary. This was from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God had done this great work. And what was this great work? It was, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Not only had God not forgotten Joseph, but he had not forgotten his people. God was going to come down to the people and be born in human flesh of a virgin. 
The angel commanded Joseph to name that child that was to be born of Mary, Jesus, which literally means to deliver or rescue. Jesus was coming to deliver and rescue his people from their sins. Not only this, but that he would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. If that wasn't enough that it was spoken by the Holy Spirit of God through the angel of the Lord, his name would be a faithful reminder of who he is. Joseph did as he was told because he had seen and believed. He did not hesitate, but went and faithfully obeyed the Lord in his command and leading. He took his wife Mary and did not divorce her. He did not know her and waited until Jesus was born. He named the son Jesus as he was told to do. There's a story of a tightrope walker from back in the day who did incredible aerial feats. All over Paris, he would do tightrope acts at tremendous scary heights, which one thing I would never do. Then he had acts after that. He would say, I've done this, now I will do it blindfolded. He would then go across the rope blindfolded, and then he would complete it. He would say, well, that was a challenge. I will do one better now. Next time I will go across blindfolded, this time pushing a wheelbarrow. And again, he succeeded. An American uh, promoter heard about this in the papers and wrote a letter to this man saying, Mr. I don't believe you can do it, but I am willing to make you an offer for a very substantial sum of money. Beside all your transport fees, I would like to challenge you to do this act over Niagara Falls. Now the man wrote back, sir, although I've never been to America and seen the falls, I'd love to come. Well, after a lot of promotion and setting the whole thing up, many people came to see the event. The man was to start on the Canadian side and come over to the American side. With the sounds of drums rolling, he came across the rope which was suspended over the treacherous part of the falls, blindfolded. The crowds went wild and he came to the promoter on the other side and said, well, now do you believe I can do it? The man answered, well, of course I do. I mean, I just saw you do it. He replied, no, do you really believe I can do it? Well, of course I do, you just seen it. Or I just seen it. No, 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 do you believe I can do it? Confused, the man looked at him and replied again, yes, I believe I, you, you can do it. He said, good, then get in the wheelbarrow. The word believe in Greek means to live by. This is a nice story and makes you ask, how often do we say that we believe Christ can do it but refuse to get in the wheelbarrow? Faith requires us to have a deep conviction that God will keep his promises and do what he says he will do. It requires us to have a complete and utter trust in his faithfulness that his words are true. It requires us to believe that the impossible task he has given us to do is possible through him when we do what he tells us to do. Joseph didn't question God. He didn't seek out an appointment, an appointment with his pastor to discuss his travel plans. He was told and he went. He had faith that God would see him safely to the destination that God had chosen. The simple truth is, if God is calling us to do something and we choose not to obey him, then we do not have the faith that God will provide and protect us. Faith requires action, and that action is obedience to God's will and plan, exactly as God has revealed it to us. We can't follow part of the plan and ignore others. Faith requires total and complete obedience. The decision became very clear to Joseph when he followed and obeyed God's plan. God would not fail him. He is faithful. That brings us to the final point. 
That is because God is faithful and cannot fail. It means that the faith that Jesus brings is a faith that can't be destroyed. Let's go back to chapter 2, and we'll read, start in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Let's paint the scene here to help us understand what was happening here. The angel of the Lord had appeared to these wise men and told them of the wonderful news of Jesus' birth. God had given them a star to follow that would lead them to exactly where Jesus was. Similar to the Israelites being led out of Egypt when God led them by the pillar of smoke and fire through the land, through the land to the promised land of Canaan. These men, were, these men were magicians or astrologers, ones who studied the skies and for the times and the signs. Their journey would take them right through the royal city of Jerusalem. In doing so, these men thought everyone knew of the birth of Jesus and stopped by the king's palace to ask, where is he who is born king of the Jews? But Herod the king didn't know about this prophecy and was troubled because he thought for sure there was a king coming after his throne and royalty. He gathered the religious teachers and asked them about this prophecy, and they confirmed that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem and was to be a king and a ruler. It's very important to see what Herod did and said here. He demanded of them or asked them with authority where Christ, the Messiah, should be born. That is where the place of his birth, as fixed in their prophecies, where they believed and expected he was to be born. Herod's pretense here, no doubt, in putting this question was, that he might be able, firstly, to satisfy these wise men who had come and asked where Jesus was to be born, to direct him in that direction. But the second thing, though that reason was true, was the true reason, was that he might know where this new king was in order to destroy him, because he was a threat to the throne. Herod called Jesus by the right name unknowingly. He called him the Christ or the Messiah. Jesus was the long-awaited savior of the people Israel. But he wasn't coming for an earthly throne to rule over the people and, and to set them free from this oppression and persecution of the surrounding nations. Jesus was coming to save his people from their sins, to them, to bring them a true and real faith that cannot be destroyed. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a faith that could not be destroyed or defeated. Even when pushed to the brink of death, they remained confident of God's promises. These three men grew wise and were respected as highly appointed officials in Babylon. But there were other Babylonian officials who were jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of the favor they had with the king. These officials schemed together and came up with a plan to get the king, Nebuchadnezzar, to command that all people bow down to the golden statue. But it wasn't just any golden statue, but it was one made of the king himself. This would appeal to anyone, and it sure appealed to King Nebuchadnezzar. Anyone who wouldn't bow down to it would be killed by throwing them into a fiery furnace as the consequence. The day came when these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refused to bow down and worship the idol of Babylon. 
King Nebuchadnezzar was furious. He was so enraged that before he had them thrown into the furnace, he had it heated seven times hotter. It was enough to kill the men who were standing at the door of the furnace. But being that they were friends with the king, the king gave them one last opportunity to save their own lives. But their response was this to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were going to serve no one else but God. They had complete faith that God would save them. Nebuchadnezzar didn't want to kill these three men because he considered them friends, but he had to because that was the decree that he had been deceived into making. When the sun arose the next morning, the king ran and looked into the fire, and lo and behold, he saw four men walking around in the furnace unharmed, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the Son of God. King Nebuchadnezzar couldn't believe it. He had the fire, the fire turned off, had it put out, and the young men brought out of the flames. Delighted that they lived, he promoted them to a higher office and decreed that the God of Israel was the one to be worshipped, not him. These men had a faith that could not be destroyed. Even when thrown into the fire of certain death, they remained confident of God's promises. How often do we not find ourselves in the face of suffering and persecution and buckle under the pressure, where we don't stand strong in the midst of all the differing opinions and ongoing problems? We are quick to give in to temptation, but we need to remain confident of God's promises so that we are willing to endure whatever comes in this life since we know we have an eternal hope through the work of Christ on the cross. Men can kill us, but they can't destroy our faith. When Herod called Jesus the Christ or Messiah, it was more than just a name like John Smith. When scripture talks about Christ in reference to the Messiah, it is talking about God's anointed one. This is who Jesus Christ is. We have lost the emphasis and impact of Jesus being king. The vast majority of Christians do not really think about the fact that Jesus Christ is the eternal anointed king of the kingdom of God. The outcome of this is that we often make decisions based on feelings and emotions in the heat of the moment. We do not practically live out every day under the rule and authority of the anointed King Jesus. The very one who was born of a virgin lived the sinless, perfect life, was despised and rejected by man, and nailed to a cross where he would die. And die for what? He died for our sins. On that cross, God poured out his wrath for our sin on Jesus Christ. This was the only way to save us and bring us to faith. But if Jesus had only died, our faith would be dead. God raised him from the dead as a conqueror and a victor over death to give us a living hope and a living faith. Faith that sets us free from bondage and chains of sin and gives us life. A faith that even when things don't go smoothly or the fiery furnace heat is turned to 11, we can know that the faith that Jesus brought us is a faith that can't be destroyed because the giver of faith has conquered. Finally, friends, I want to leave, close us with this, with the events of January 15th, 2009. It started out like any other day in New York, a wintry day for five crew members and 150 passengers of U.S. Airways Flight 1549. The flight took off from LaGuardia Airport at 3.25 p.m. on its way to Charlotte, North Carolina. All systems were go. 
About two minutes into the flight, the sound of alarms and warning bells blasted through the cockpit. Both engines had shut down and lost complete thrust. They had flown into a flock of Canadian geese who, irony has it, were traveling south themselves. The captain and his co-pilot had been trained for scenarios like this. They, had, they began to run through the restart procedure, but the engines didn't start. They tried again, nothing. A third time, nothing. It was at this point the captain notified LaGuardia's air control that he was returning to the airport. However, as the plane continued to dis descend in a glide, the captain began to see that they'd be unable to reach the airport. So they began to work on a plan to find the nearest airport to land. But those options were quickly ruled out as the plane was descending too quickly. It was then that the captain notified air control of a solution, something he had trained for during his time in flight school. He was going to attempt a very risky and rare winter, winter water landing in the icy Hudson River. The captain announced over the intercom, this is your captain, brace for impact. The rear section of the aircraft made first contact and that section suffered severe damage, notice, noticeably a rupture that allowed water to enter the aircraft. However, the plane remained able to float thanks in part to the fuel tanks, which were not full. The passengers and crew that day then exited the plane via the slides and walked out onto the wings and began to enter the emergency inflatable rafts. Local ferries and emergency responders were on the scene within minutes and all 155 people were rescued. We plan our lives and mark our calendars with all the activities, vacations, birthdays, gatherings, meetings and hockey games, but what happens when it doesn't go the way we planned? Those 155 people aboard flight 1549 that day didn't wake up that morning and expect to hear those words, brace for impact. When that call comes, what is your reaction? You place your faith in those pilots to safely guide and fly that aircraft to its destination. Proverbs 3.5.8, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Be not be be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment for your bones. We place our faith in Christ and walk with him. We don't know where we are going, what God's plan is, or what bumps and challenges will come along the way, but we can be confident that he will protect us and safely deliver us into our eternal home. So let me ask you the question again I asked at the beginning. If Jesus is the one that makes the difference, is he the one that your faith is in today? If he's not, make today that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that was brought when you sent Jesus Christ to be born of a virgin on this earth. We thank you the faith that it gave us that he would faithfully go to the cross, that he would endure all the punishment for us, Lord. He would endure your wrath on that cross. Lord, and we just thank you for this. We pray that this day would be one where we are in awe of this, where we recognize this, and we humble ourselves before you and just give you thanks for all things, Lord. And we just pray that our faith would be evermore in you, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son, the Anointed One, the King. Amen.